I don't know if I've ever done it. In fact, I, I doubt I have, and I apologize for it. I have never loved without limits. My love, sadly, always has limits. Where is that extravagant love? Where is that reckless love? That reckless love for God and for others. Where is that? That uncalculated love. Like the woman in Matthew 26 who one day, right, she came up to Jesus and anointed the head of Jesus with this expensive ointment, this ointment that cost one year's worth of salary, what she was paid. She took it and anointed Jesus' head with it. Or like that widow who came to the temple one day and gave everything she had. It was just two copper coins, but she gave everything she had. Or like the good Samaritan who saw the man who had been beaten and robbed and and he had pity on him. And didn't just have pity on him, but he also bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine as antiseptic and then brought him, uh, put him on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and paid all the expenses. Where is that kind of love? Or like how Jesus challenged us to love, to love our neighbors as ourselves or to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Where is that extravagant love? I think when we see it, it startles us. Where is that selfless, limitless love? Well, today, we find it in God's great love for mankind. Today, we're going to examine this great passage of of Scripture that Austin just read for us. And we're going to focus our thoughts really on John 3.16, this incredible verse. And in this verse, we see the extreme, extravagant love of God for us. John 3.16. Norm was teasing me that, well, everybody knows John 3.16, so we all can just take a good nap today, right? We all know this verse, and... uh, John 3.16, what a great verse. We're going to examine it today. Let's see what God has to say to us today from this verse that maybe, you know, if you've memorized Bible verses, this was probably one of the first Bible verses you ever memorized is John 3.16. And we see it in football games, the reference, you know. John 3.16, we're going to look at this verse today. A man named Dr. Ralph M. Smith is... Studied John 3.16 as a professor and a pastor. And as he's put together sermon outlines for John 3.16, he's come up with 600 different sermon outlines for this one verse, John 3.16. And I'm only going to preach one of those, or my own. And uh, um, A man by the name of Henry Morehouse is from Ireland. He came to know 
Jesus at 16 years of age. He had kind of lived a, a wild young life. He was a you know, street kid and a thief. And he went to a D.L. Moody a revival meeting. And came to know Jesus. In a powerful way. And Henry Morehouse, at 16 years of age, started preaching. And he died in his 30s, so he didn't preach that long. But all, every, every sermon he preached, the text for his sermon was John 3.16. Every single sermon, John 3.16. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called John 3.16 the heart of the Bible. He called it the gospel in miniature. Let's look at John 3.16 today. There's an outline in the Bible where you follow along, maybe take some notes. I'm going to do things a little differently today. First of all, we're just going to go through the words of John 3.16. I'm going to highlight some of the words just to, to talk about it again, to look at these words again. And then at the end of my sermon, I want to... I want to boldly apply this well-known verse to us. I've been praying about this for us. For myself, for you. I want to apply this verse to us. John 3.16 is a verse of salvation. And there may be some today in this room that today's your day of salvation. And it's going to come clear to you by the work of the Holy Spirit using John 3.16. But I know that many of us in this room already know Jesus. And I've been asking the Lord that as I've been preaching, as as I preach today, and as we look at John 3.16, that his spirit would preach to every one of our souls today. To your soul today. And that we would recognize maybe more than ever before how much God loves us. That the Holy Spirit would just shed abroad the love of God today in this room into your heart. Maybe like never before. Oh, Father, help us. Help us as we look at this verse. Lord, teach us by your word. Teach us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the first word, if you're taking notes, the first word I'd like us to look at here is the word for, the very first verse, or first word in this verse. For is a connecting word. It connects this verse with the previous verses. And the context of John 3.16 is this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And Pastor Chuck's great sermon last week about the earlier verses here in John 3. And about this message that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. John 3.16 is kind of the end of that conversation with Nicodemus. And this word for here at the beginning of John 3.16 connects it with the verses in front of it. So look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
Great, referring back to the Old Testament and the sin, and, and they lifted up this fiery serpent, and anyone who, bronze serpent, that anyone who would look at it would not die after being bitten by the serpent. And Jesus says, and the Son of Man, his favorite reference of himself, will be lifted up in the same way. And then verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And verse 16 expands verse 15. And the four there says, so how does that happen? How could verse 15 be true? And verse 16 fills it out for us. But you know, we kind of skip over verse 15. If we didn't have John 3, 16, we would really like John 3, 15, which says, for whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3.15 is kind of an abbreviated John 3.16. And 16 just expands it for us. Well, the next word is so. For God so loved. And so is a simple Greek word that marks intensity. So Jesus is saying God loves the world. No, he wants it more intense than that. God so loved the world. The intensity of God's love. That extreme, extravagant, ultimate love. Expressed by that simple little word, so. Ephesians 3, love that surpasses knowledge. The next word here I want us to look at is that word loved. Kind of the heart of this verse. Loved, God's so Loved. This is the Greek word agape. We've heard that maybe. It talks about sacrificial love. God's love is totally sacrificial. It's not a love that says, well, what can I get from this? But it's a love that says, what can I give? And that's the way that God loves you. The next word here is world. God so loved the world. And you know, the original hearers would have been very uh, prepared and would have been a lot more comfortable if Jesus had said, God so loved Israel. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, God so loved the world. And the listeners will wait. God loves the Israelites. And in there, that response, they would have been forgetting God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 when, when it says, I will bless you with a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Oh, they'd be forgetting that. But in that day, they would have been much more comfortable if Jesus had said, God so loved the Israelites. And you know what? we do the very same thing. We'd actually be much more comfortable if Jesus had said, God so loved Christians. But that's not what it says. God so loved the world. And I think we as the church need to be reminded, constantly reminded, and maybe challenged By God's love for the world, kind of love we must have. God's love 
for the people of the world. For God so loved the world. The next word is that he gave. Gave, he gave. You know, giving implies parting. Always does. If, if you give something, you part with it. And the Father parted with the Son. When Jesus left glory and took on human flesh, there was a parting. When Jesus bore our sins and was pierced and wounded for our transgressions, there was a parting because the Father couldn't look upon sin. The Father loved and he gave and there was a parting. And you know what? The giving of the Son by the Father will be celebrated and admired for all eternity. It'll be one of those things that will just be celebrated. For, we'll never get tired of celebrating that. That the Father gave the Son. And, and there's a, a principle here. Most often, for all of us, when we love, there's a giving and there's a parting. That's agape love. That's sacrificial love. I I know it'd be easier if we could say, well, when we love, we get. And sometimes that's great when that happens. But to truly love, there's giving and there's parting. Well, the next word I want us to look at is that word only. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, I learned this my first, when I first learned it. I learned it from the King James Version. And there's another word in there usually. God gave his only what? Begotten, Begotten son. Uh, yeah, you ever wondered about that? What does that mean? And uh, uh, in, in, let me take a stab at it. Uh, in the Greek, the word here is um, monogenes. It can be translated only. It can be translated one and only. It can be translated only begotten. It's a, in the Greek, it's this compo- compound word. Mono means one and genes. It's the word we get genetics from. We get genes from. And so as we try to figure out this only begotten, only one and only son, you know, it gets maybe a little confusing because when we become Christians, we become the children of God. So he has lots of sons. How is Jesus the only, the monogenous son? Well, we need to be careful here. Theologically, there isn't an, uh, an action of time here. This isn't implying any kind of time. There wasn't a time when there wasn't the sun. So it's not like there was a point way back in eternity where somehow the Father bore a son. No, no, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been the Trinity and will always be the Trinity. So there's not a time factor here. But this monogenous means something like this. There's one son that is exactly like the father. There is one son that bears the image of the father completely. 
like father, like son. The Apostle Paul tries to convey this when he says that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 of Hebrews says that Jesus bears the exact imprint of his God the Father's nature. So there is one son like that. And it's Jesus. So when they say genes, the only, the one and only son, that's the one that Jesus gave, that God gave. The next word is believes. To believe is to be persuaded, to place confidence in. It's actually a very strong word. It's a salvation word. But you know what? Sometimes we get it confused. We get it confused kind of historically. If I were to say, how many of you believe there was a Napoleon in history? I think we all would. We've read it in the history books. We believe that there was a Napoleon at one point in time. So that's the same kind of level as believing in Jesus. Okay, yeah, there was a Jesus at one point in time. No, there's, it's a deeper word than that. Like I said, it's, it's a salvation word. It's a word where we believe something, we become convinced about something, where we become persuaded about something. Uh, John 1.12 helps us understand it a bit. Over in John 1.12 says these words, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're reading that verse, you see that the word receive him and believe in him are parallel. They're saying the same thing. They're talking about the same thing of recognizing what, who Jesus is and recognizing what Jesus came to be and what, recognizing what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and receiving that. And believing in that. And all that about Jesus becomes who we are. It's a salvation word. A decision word. It's not just simply thinking, oh yeah, I believe that Napoleon lived. I believe Jesus lived. No, it is taking my eternal soul and casting it upon what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And if I'm going to have eternal life, it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And if Jesus isn't true, then I'm lost. Because I cast everything upon him. I believe in him. I receive him. Whosoever believes. And the last word is perish. I'd like us to look at perish. Should not perish. You know, we need to remember that this verse is in the context of this conversation with Nicodemus. And in this need for being born again. And never lose sight. When you hear that phrase, born again. Never lose sight of the fact that the reason why we must be born again is because we are dead in sin without Jesus. We are spiritually dead, and so we must be born again if we're going to have spiritual life. 
And that's what Jesus came to do. This whole idea of being uh, spiritually dead, it really goes back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are there, and you can eat of all the trees in the garden. They're all here except for this one. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you've read the account. We've talked about it here. They, they, they eat of that fruit. And we read the Bible accounts. Did they die? When we look at it, so well, they ate of it, and that day they didn't die. Or did they? They did. Maybe they were physically alive, but sin entered into them. They were spiritually dead. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. That's why we must be born again. That we can have the spiritual life. You know, think, think back. There's going to be a verse on the screen here. This, this verse from Genesis 3, 9. And of when, um, after they ate the fruit. Genesis 3, 9. And God comes and is searching for them. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Let me read earlier. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You can imagine the scene. They ate the fruit. They disobeyed. They spiritually died. There's a separation between God and them. That next verse. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, you know, if you were God, how, how would you have said those words? Where are you? How, how do you imagine God saying those words in your mind? Did he say them with disgust? Did he say those words with anger, with condemnation? How do you imagine God saying those words to Adam and Eve? Where are you? as a disciplinarian, as a policeman? Or do you picture God saying that as a broken-hearted father looking for the lost child that he loves? That's God. God so loves. And when you think of this word perish, we need to realize, we need to say it out loud, that perish is opposite of eternal life. Eternal life is together with God now and forever. Eternal death is separated from God now and forever. God so loved that he gave his only son that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. There's the words of John 3.16. Would you please allow me to go through the application of John 3.16? And what I'd like us first to do is to recognize God's amazing love for us. We live in a world where people are strangers to God's love. 
Oh, that those blind to the love of God would see. Oh, that those who proclaim the love of God, and I believe that's all of us in this room. If we know Jesus, we are those who proclaim the love of God. Oh, that we who proclaim the love of God would truly see and know and feel his love for us. May we have this deep acquaintance with the love of God. As those of old used to say, may God's love for you bear most court in your life. Amanda Reese, or what did that May God's love have most influence in your life. Hold most sway in your life. Win each day for you. May God's love be that. In helping us recognize God's love for us, would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans 5. I'd like us to look at Romans 5 and to pull a phrase or two out of here. Romans 5, this great passage of Scripture of peace with God through faith. And look at verse 1 of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Speaking about what Jesus did for us. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Please listen to this next phrase. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to make a big deal of that today. I think we read that and we just kind of glaze over it. Let's make a big deal of that. Again, back when I learned this in King James, God's love has been shed abroad in your heart. Maybe that's how you memorize this verse. What does that mean? Today, maybe like no other day, I've been praying that all of us would know the love of God in our hearts. This phrase that the love of God, his love has been poured into our hearts. Again, in the Greek, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's in the perfect tense. It's not a tense that in the English we have. But it, it has to do with completed action that has ongoing consequences. So there was a time when we became Christians that the Holy Spirit entered into our lives and, and poured the love of God into our hearts. But he didn't stop then. He is continuing to pour the love of God into our hearts. So if you are in Christ today, and the Spirit of God dwells within you, and if the Spirit of God dwells within you, He is pouring God's love into your hearts. It's being constantly shed abroad in your heart. And oh, that's such a good thing. Because you know, there's times when we we really need this. 
because we don't feel God's love all the time. But to know that this is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy, all that the Holy inspires and illuminates and all these things that the Holy creates, all these things that the Holy Spirit does, another one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to pour God's love into us, to flood it into us. Oh, that we would know this. You know, why is it important? Why is it important that we would know this? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Um, For those of us in the room that are parents, remember how much we wanted our children to know that we loved them. Remember that, parents? Remember, you're doing it right now if you have kids at home. We, we wanted our kids to know that we loved them. We wanted them to feel that love, to be confident how much we love them, how much they're totally loved at home. Because the reality was they're not always going to be loved. When they're away from home, they're, they're not always loved. They're, at times they're insulted and they're belittled, they're snubbed. But they know that when they get home, they're going to be loved totally. When they're away from home, at times they're, they're uh, insulted, they're belittled. Again, yes, and, and they're, they're devalued. They're, they're, they sometimes even undervalue themselves. Tempted to cheapen themselves when they're, but then, but something in their mind, they know how deeply loved they are at home. That mom and dad just value them, that they adore them, that they're treasured at home. And they're loved at home not because of what they did or how they performed or if they succeeded, they're just loved. Period. And now, as parents, that didn't mean that we didn't discipline them, didn't mean that we didn't say no to them. In fact, because we loved them so much, we needed to say no to them and discipline them. But that our kids would always know by our words and our actions, by our reactions, by the time we spent to them, by our attention, they would know that they are totally loved at home. It's important for our kids crucial in their development, in their understanding of self, in their choices, on and on. Let's bring that over into the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for us Christians in the room, the Holy Spirit is pouring out God's love into our hearts. It's important for us to know that. And he's shedding it abroad all over in our hearts, even into those dark corners and those places in our heart where we really need to know that God loves us, into those places where we don't feel very lovable. There are times we doubt his love. There's times we feel unloved, when we feel lonely, when we feel unlovable as followers of Jesus. There are times we feel belittled and insulted and hated and criticized. And when Satan tries to separate us from, the, from God's love, there are times when we devalue ourselves in Jesus and are tempted to undervalue, waste who we are. Oh, that the Spirit 
would move in us. That the Spirit would shed abroad in our hearts just how much God loves us. You know, we read, we read this in Scripture and, and we can deduce this with our minds. We can know it in our heads. But might we also feel it today? Back in Romans 5, it, it, this great progression here, we're suffering. Have you been suffering lately? May God's Spirit just shed abroad in your hearts how much God loves you in the midst of the suffering. We know that suffering produces endurance. Are you tired today? Are you weary today? You feel like giving up? May God's love be poured in to help you endure. You know, that endurance produces character. Oh, we look at our character, right? We're so disappointed. How could God love us? May God's spirit just continually shed abroad in your heart how much God loves you, period. You know, that character produces hope. Are you feeling hopeless today? May God's love be poured into your heart. So how do we respond today? First of all, I have two, two exhortations. The first is to believe. Will you believe? There may be some in this room that need to hear the challenge that Jesus isn't just another historical figure. Maybe your belief in Jesus has always kind of been linked with the same way you believe in Napoleon. Sure, he was a historical figure. Is that how you've chosen to believe in Jesus? Maybe today's the day when you realize that this is the day to believe and to receive and to be born again. That's the message of John 3.16. As we are dismissed in just a few moments, I'll linger up front. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. To believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And the last response today, it's a simple one. It's to watch and know. Follower of Jesus, would you watch for how the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into you? Would you know it? Be confident of it? That's been my prayer for this sermon, is that more than anything else, as God's church here at Westchester, that unlike ever before, we would walk away knowing that God loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, I pray that you would use it in our lives. Lord, it's simple. It's well known. Lord, I pray that your spirit would apply it. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you personally, that has never really believed and received this Jesus, I pray that today would be the day.
and for the rest of us, Father. That we would know your great love for us. In Christ's name, amen.